Uh, there are some um, outlines for grown-ups in the word sheets that might help you know where we're going. And um, uh, children, you've got activity booklets uh, to fill out, which might help you uh, follow along as well. Now, sometimes following Jesus can be really hard. If you're not yet following him, I'm not saying that to put you off. Uh, following Jesus can be really hard, it's true. Uh, carving out time, perhaps, to read the Bible and pray every day. It's hard. Uh, spending energy um, teaching our children to, to um, know uh, Jesus and how to follow him. Preventing ourselves from uh, watching or doing something that's going to lead us into temptation. Uh, taking stick from others for not um, joining in with their way of living. Uh, plucking up the courage to talk about Jesus with them, even when it might lead uh, to um, people rolling their eyes and rejecting us. I remember when um, I worked in a, a normal job, um, uh, there'd be times where I, I'd have to withdraw from a conversation uh, when it turned into gossip uh, or into lewdness um, or, or, or to um, uh, withdraw from a get-together when it turned into drunkenness. Or, or from some work when it turned into deceit. Um, there, there were times when, um, when people looked at me pretty oddly uh, when I talked about what I'd done on the weekend or why Jesus uh, means so much to me. It felt pretty hard quite a lot of the time, actually. And sometimes I wanted to just um, hide, uh, hide my faith, uh, hide from others. And I know I'm not alone in those sorts of things. Because uh, I've spoken to some of you about the similar sorts of uh, struggles. Following Jesus can be hard in all sorts of different ways. And especially hard when it means going against the grain. Verse uh, 1 of this letter that Peter wrote um, says it, he wrote it to uh, exiles, uh, those who, who don't belong, who are scattered, scattered. Uh, later on, it talks about Christians as uh, foreigners in this world. The idea is, this is a letter for those who feel like they, they don't fit here, they don't belong here. Because that's what Peter assumes it's going to be like for Christians. It's written to those who, because of their faith, are swimming against the tide of our culture and our society of our neighbours and our friends. And the letter is designed to help us keep swimming, to, to, to swim all out when it's really hard and when we feel uh, exhausted uh, or like hiding away. And today we're just starting the letter and actually we find something so vital for us if we're going to keep going uh, living as Christians, or if you're not yet a Christian, so vital for you to understand if you're considering starting to follow Jesus. Because straight, uh, straight off the bat, Peter answers the question, why would it be worth living for Jesus if it means swimming against the tide? And I, I think if we let these words from chapter one uh, get into our hearts, that not only will we find the answer to that question, but we'll also increasingly feel the answer as well. Because according to, to Peter, although the Christian life is one of swimming against the tide, and that, that is hard, it's also, according to verse 8, a life of inexpressible 
and glorious joy. Now, anyone here want inexpressible and glorious joy? Does that sound good to you? Yeah, I'd have thought that would be most of us, right? We, we like the sound of that sort of joy. And Peter says, if you understand what following Jesus means, then your life will be one of inexpressible and glorious joy. So the more we let these words sink in, the more that will be our experience. Uh, I'd recommend, uh, if you um, uh, have a, a pen or can get hold of one, taking some notes, because it's as we meditate on these, chew, these words and chew over uh, what, what Peter says, that that joy will begin to well up inside us. And otherwise, uh, you can feel free to listen back later in the week. These uh, sermons are all online. Uh, you might also want to ask questions, um, things that you don't understand, uh, things that um, uh, you want to find out uh, how to, to live more in light of. We've got a question time later on. Uh, there are question slips on your, on your chair, so please jot down any questions you've got. That'll be on, mainly on Genesis, but also on today, if you like. Um, but... Uh, Peter gives us in this passage, I think, four things, four words that means that Christians are to be envied by everyone else in the world. Uh, Rather than thinking life is so much easier for them, uh, four words that enable us, if we're following Jesus, to say with Peter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the first is this, chosen. And that's from verses one to three, chosen. Christians are those who are chosen by God. I know some people feel this to be contentious, but just listen to to what Peter says. Verse 1, 2, God's elect, elect just means chosen, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Because, of course, no one is ever born by their own effort. You just ask your mums. <laughs> the Bible teaches that God has chosen Christians. I know that raises all sorts of questions. Feel free to ask them on those slips, uh, and and I'll I'll try and answer them later on uh, this morning. Um, But it's so important for us to understand and believe that God chooses us before we ever choose him, if we're to keep going uh, as Christian believers. A wise old woman uh, who was asked what she thought about God's uh, predestination, God's choosing uh, of Christians before we were born, she said... Ah, I have long settled that point. For if God had not chosen me before I was born, I am sure he would have seen nothing in me to have chosen me afterwards. She's wise, because that's true of all of us, if we're honest with ourselves. Would we be the person that God would choose to have on his team, if we're honest? None of us can say yes. God. The good news is God chooses before we've done anything, right or wrong. So God choosing Christians does not mean that we're better than other people. There's no excuse for a Christian to say, ah, I'm chosen, therefore I can look down on everyone else in the world. Uh, It's not that God looked around and and said, oh, okay, who's the best of this pretty mediocre crop? Let me pick them. No, we're chosen according to God's, um, God's own foreknowledge, his own plan. He knew us. I'm not saying he he was unaware of what we'd be like. He chose us 
randomly. No, God knew us inside out, ahead of time. He knew just how bad we were going to be. He knew just how bad I was going to be. And he chose us to be his, warts and all. It's not random, names out of a hat like it doesn't matter. God deliberately chose. Deliberately, specially set some people apart. Now, if you're not yet following Jesus, and this makes you think, well, okay, well, there's no way that I could start following Jesus then. That's not what this means. We weren't there when God chose people, when he wrote down the names of those who are going to be his. Perhaps he has a plan to bring you to know him and love him for all eternity. Perhaps you are chosen by God. Perhaps that's why you're here. Perhaps that's why you're hearing him speak. Christians are chosen, verses 1 to 3. Second word in verses 3 to 5 is hope. Look again at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Christians are born again into a new life, a whole new life, and it's a life of hope. That's why it's a life of inexpressible and glorious joy. Because of what we have to look forward to. New birth into a living hope. Peter uses the word uh, an inheritance. Uh, Now, you might not know what an inheritance is. Uh, Perhaps you have heard of an inheritance and and, and, um, you've heard of people getting some money uh, from from someone uh, when they die. But the idea in the Bible of an inheritance uh, is actually uh, something that's used a lot in the Old Testament to do with the special place that God gave to his people, a land for them to live and be with God uh, in his presence, a place to live where everything would be just right, a land flowing with milk and honey. And Peter says Christians have an inheritance, a better inheritance than that, an inheritance, he says, that is simply unperishing, unspoiling, unfading. Imagine having an inheritance that is totally indestructible, unperishing, unspoiled, unfading. Not like um, uh, food. Uh, I brought here a banana. Uh, it's only a few days old, actually, and already it's going black and mushy. And um, uh, Danny, maybe you want to eat this later. I don't know. But the, the, the longer you leave bananas, the less appealing they get. Right? That that eventually will happen to all food, but not just with food. Everything else, doesn't it? it? Happens to buildings eventually. We we um, we've been on holiday the last few weeks, and we went to lots of castles. Lots of them are just ruins now. They were built very solidly, I can tell you. Uh, with um, I think one had five meter thick walls. That's crazy, and and they fall down, they fall apart. Our house is um, about eleven years old, and there are bits of it which are already falling apart. Um, everything that we observe. Uh, falls apart, but not this inheritance that Christians have. Not like bananas, not like castles, not like friendships that so easily get spoiled, don't they? 
by sin, however easy and joyful they are to start with. Not like uh, the delight of getting a present, um, uh, which um, uh, you enjoy for a bit and then it fades away uh, when you get used to it. Instead, this is the hope of a perfect, undiluted, totally satisfying, full of pleasure, and never going to end. Because at our new place in the new world will be with God himself. Where he is, there we will be also. That's why our inheritance, Peter says, is kept in heaven for us. Because the inheritance is not stuff, it's not cash, it's not a building, it, it is a person. Our inheritance is to be with God forever. And if you think that the distantness of heaven uh, makes it less certain or less valuable than things here, look again at verse 4. Uh, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. And this uh, great gift, this inheritance of being with God forever, is kept safe. It's totally secure. It's, it's not kind of put into our hands. A bit like, you know, if someone gave a, a beautiful glass sculpture worth thousands of pounds to, to our daughter Naomi, who's, who's um, one, one and a bit. Imagine what would happen to that. It would last about two and a half seconds, and then it would get smashed. Well, the same if, if this was down to us, if this um, promise of eternal life, of perfect life, were just in our hands, we'd mess it up. We'd lose it straight away. No, this is kept safe for us by God in heaven. And that's why our hope is so secure, so safe, so unspoilable. So perfect. And it's really important that we get that the Christian life is one of hope. Because otherwise, we'll think it's about now. right? Hope is about what's coming, not about what we have now. And if we think it's about now, when it's really hard, we'll think something's going dreadfully wrong. We think we, we don't have the real thing. But no, Peter says, your life now will be one of being in exile, being scattered, being foreigners in this world, suffering now but full of hope, full of something that can keep you excited and joyful and going. However bad it gets here, we have a perfect and glorious forever home with God, kept safe for us in heaven. So uh, we're chosen, we have hope. Third important word, word to remember here, verses five to nine, faith. Faith. Uh, so um, uh, this inheritance, verse 4, is kept in heaven for you, verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in, this, in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. This life that Christians have is one of faith. 
And the word faith is used in, in slightly different ways by different Bible writers, different um, nuances. When Peter talks about faith, he's talking about that, that confidence in Jesus that sides with him, whatever the cost, that chooses his way instead of the alternative. So Peter says, if we have faith in Jesus, if we choose Jesus, we will be safe, whatever else happens. Through faith, we're shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. And in particular, faith is what makes us persevere when the going gets tough. Verse 6, grief in all kinds of trials, all sorts of things seem to be going wrong. All sorts of things are painful. I, I, I don't know what those things are for you. But I know there will be things. If you aren't experiencing them right now, you will. And faith is what will keep you going. Peter's no believer in bad luck, by the way. These, these things that, that, that happen to us as Christians, whether that's poor health or friends leaving us or um, the death of, of loved ones or, or, or whatever the suffering is, it's not bad luck. It's not that God relinquished control of the world and things are just going wrong. No, Peter says, the suffering has come for good reason. Verse 7, uh, these trials come so that our faith is proven genuine. So that we're shown not to be a, a fair-weather friend of Jesus, who only sticks around as long as it's easy. One who really trusts Jesus to deliver. A faith which is more precious than gold. Gold is uh, tested in, um, in the furnace to make sure it's all the genuine stuff, not, not fake, uh, fool's gold, no dross that would burn, burn away. But even the purest gold will one day be, be burned up along with all the other elements in the periodic table. It will all melt away. Christian faith is the one element that will survive. Of course, we'll only be confident that it'll do that if we see it's genuine now. And so in advance of that grace, great test, by God's grace, we're given lots of little tests to show our faith to be the real deal rather than just burning up in the furnace. And that means when our faith survives that brush with cancer or that loss of a job or the persistent sneering of our family or or friends, if our faith survives those trials, we can rejoice because we and those around us can be confident that it's the real thing, that it'll get us to eternity by God's power. And we know it's the real deal when we see the sort of thing verses 8 and 9 are describing. Though you have not seen him, we don't see Jesus, uh, do we? The life is not one of uh, um, uh, seeing Jesus day to day in, 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 in miraculous ways. Though you have not seen him, you love him. That's what faith is. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's real faith. Chosen, 
hope, faith. One final word uh, that will bring joy uh, to a Christian sufferer, and that is gospel. That's what verses 10 to 12 are about, gospel. Gospel means good news, and boy do we have good news as Christian believers. Have a look back down at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Good news. This uh, good news was uh, proclaimed uh, for thousands of years by prophets in the Old Testament. And and, and then it was uh, declared uh, to us uh, by people like Peter, um, uh, who preached the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And, and, and you get this picture right at the end, even angels craning their necks to see this gospel that's given to us, uh, rather than to them. This gospel is for us more than for angels. The angels look at us with, with envy, almost. They, they long to, to, to see things from our perspective, to see the gospel. We have such good news as followers of Jesus. God's Son himself, God the Son, suffered on the cross, died to give perfect and eternal life with God to anyone who believes in him. What a gospel. There is no better news in the world. There is no better thing in the world. And that's what the whole Bible is. The prophets... The apostles, uh, the the, the angels, the messengers uh, of God gave us the Bible. Now, there there are two ways um, of seeing the Bible. Uh, The first is the most common. And um, and that is that that the Bible is there to help us uh, know how we should live our lives. Get it? That's that's one way of seeing the Bible. So perhaps characterised by the Ten Commandments. Um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Turn the Other Cheek, all of that kind of thing. Is that how you see what the Bible's about? Lots of um, tips for living, rules for living. But when you listen to Peter, speaking about the prophets and the apostles and and the the angels, it it doesn't sound like that, does it? Angels wouldn't long to, to, to look into those things. They already do those things. They, they keep God's commandments. There's actually a much better way of understanding the Bible. That, that first way is the way of law. But there, there's another way, which is the way of gospel. The Bible is not given to us so that we can live good lives. First. It's given to us to tell us news. To tell us about the one good life that has ever been lived on this earth. And how the one who lived it shares with us all its blessings. Who shares that life with us by bringing it down to us and giving it up 
for us. Um, now I've got I've got something to help us understand. I'm going to need um, uh, help, Neil, if you if you come up. I've got here um, a, a rucksack. Um, here you go. Um, if you put, put this on, this is this is imagine this is Neil's life. Okay, so um, he needs to walk walk along his his path of life. And um, the first way of understanding the Bible is um, here we go. I've got some commandments for you. Here's one. Uh, don't don't lie. Don't uh, cheat. Don't steal. Uh, love everyone. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to break you. Um, keep going. Uh, be faithful in all you do. Okay, there we go. Um, I've got lots more, but for now, you try walking around with those, see how you get on. It's a bit tricky, isn't it? I could keep going. The Bible's a long book. There's a lot there. And the way that most people view the Bible is like this. Lots of burdens. Yes, they, they need to be carried. We need to live this way. But it's just burdens. It's like, it's like a weight pulling us down. So um, what we need... Can you come up? What we need, instead of more and more commands weighing us down, what we most need is someone to come along and take the burden off us. Any time today, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> and carry it for us. And that's what the Bible says Jesus has come to do. He's lived the life that we should have lived. And he can do it. We can't. He can do it. So he has lived the life that we should have lived to carry the burden that we could not bear. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Neil. And there we go. <laughs> I hope you're not thrilled. <laughs> good job. Um, but, but do you get why that means that the Bible is good news, not burdensome? Why, why um, uh, Christian believers uh, begin to have a longing to read the Bible more and more? To have their burdens taken off them, not burdens added to them. Some people fear reading the Bible because they think that it's going to mean uh, they feel bad. And they feel guilty and, and, and like they can't do it and, and so on. That's not what the Bible's there for. The Bible is there to show us Jesus. That's why the angels long to look into these things. That's why the prophets were so eager to look into uh, what what God was saying when, when he spoke through them. The Bible is not about us trying harder to do more to earn a life with God. The Bible is about the fact that Jesus has done it. He has earned for us life with God forever. Do you see the joy that following Jesus brings? Yes, life will be harder because you're going against the flow if you're following Jesus. He goes against the way of this world, and so we will too. But it will be better, because we are those who are chosen to be God's own people. We're given an indestructible, eternal hope, which we receive by faith. And faith is receiving good news that God gives us. If you want joy that is in, inexpressible and glorious, this is the one place on earth you can find it. Perhaps you can think of a way you can encourage someone else after church or ask a question about it. 
um, perhaps um, you could ask how it might help uh, someone else or talk about a way in that it could help you. First, uh, let me uh, lead us in prayer.